Now, let's go to John 14. And I know you're thinking in your mind, okay, this guy hadn't preached for five weeks. What's going to happen today? How long are we going to be here? What time is lunch? Um, I have no idea because I haven't written a sermon in five weeks, so I don't know how long this is going to take, guys. But we're here. I've got so many questions. What was the sabbatical like? What what, what was God saying? And and like I said earlier, I'll share some of that today. But but even beyond what what God was was saying to us in the time away, it it just is, uh, let me say it this way. In our sabbatical, we didn't go away. We we didn't see any um, burning bushes. God didn't show up in a fire or in a cloud. But God kept speaking through his word every single day. And so much of the sabbatical, you know, sabbatical was built around Sabbath, which is about rest. And so much of our time away was focused on rest and just hearing from what God was saying and just turning off some of the distractions in order to clearly hear what God is saying. And, you know, the reminder that resonated with me more than anything else I heard or learned on sabbatical is God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still doing the same thing he's always been doing. He's still relentlessly pursuing people for the sake of his glory. Relentlessly pursuing uh, lost sheep that have gone astray in order to bring people into his fold, to adopt children into his family, in order to build a kingdom that proclaims his glory in every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's what we're all about. It's what we've always been all about, what God is doing, and he's still doing the same thing. But I really reflected, I told you I was in John 17 a lot, I'm actually in John 14 today. John 17, one of my favorite passages, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. Abide in my words. And so that's what really engaging with scripture is about. Anyone can do it. Abide means to rest, to remain, to stay. And so the beauty of God's word this morning is we're just going to go through a few passages, a few just quotes from Jesus, and we're just going to stay there long enough to really reflect on what he's saying to us. We're not going to rush through it. We're going to see the beauty of Jesus when Jesus repeats himself, because you always pay attention when Jesus repeats himself. It was the, the night of the Last Supper. That's our setting for today. The night of the Last Supper, and and you probably know some of the story. Actually, at this point in the night, uh, Judas had already left, which means they they had been well into the Passover meal, celebrating, remembering, reflecting on God's deliverance of his nation out of Egypt. And they had been reflecting on that, celebrating that. Jesus was leading the, the, um, the Seder meal. And as Jesus was leading the Seder meal, he starts to teach them but teach them in a way that they probably weren't accustomed to because he's applying and going into greater detail about things that they've ever heard in a previous Seder meal. And in John 13 through 17, we have what's known as the upper room discourse. In the midst of this, room, of this meal, as they're gathered in the upper room, Jesus just starts sharing more and more and more with his followers. And, and, and there's, some, there's some beautiful, cool stuff in it. Everything Jason said about unity in John 17, that, that's right there. Uh, and the familiar passage where Jesus predicts that Peter's going to deny him is right there in the upper room discourse too. In fact, where we pick up today, John 14, 1, that just happened. Peter's still reeling when Jesus starts to talk in, in, in John 14, 1. 
We remember that. So Peter is just told, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. And then Jesus keeps talking. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's a song about that, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Translation, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What Jesus goes on to say to them is, you've seen the Father because you've seen me, and I and the Father am one. But I really want to reflect and just circle this idea of the first verse for us this morning. Lord, let, or Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Here's our idea for this morning. That worldly trouble can either awaken us to our need for Jesus or distract us from the path of Jesus. And we all know what worldly trouble looks like. We all face it. But we're going to circle this idea today. Let's reflect on what was the trouble that Jesus was preparing the disciples for? Well, we know, obviously, number one, um, Peter was already reeling. Everybody was trying to figure out why Judas left about 10 minutes before this. Nobody really knew what that was about. And then Peter was just told that he was going to deny him. And Peter, looking into his own heart and soul, said, no, that's not possible. What could possibly happen over the next few hours that would lead me to deny him? So Peter's struggling internally. But they're all, they all have to be asking the question, what are you talking about, Jesus? It sounds like you're talking about going away. You're talking about death. You're talking about suffering. And he's been, he's been circling this idea for some time. And the questions have to be abounding by now. And he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Just believe in me. The, the simple answer to trouble in your hearts is just belief. Well, let me ask you today. What is it that is troubling your heart this morning? Because I got an idea there's something. And I got an idea. If we just stopped for a second and we kind of leaned in, that, that we'd see that there's something in everyone's heart and mind right now that is causing trouble, stress, anxiety, worry. And so what is it? Is it a personal issue that, that there's, there's some sort of personal relationship that's not where you want it to be, some relational falling out in, in your family, in your workplace, whatever? Is it a physical issue? Is there some sort of disease or, or illness that has weighed you down and, and now you're, you're stressed and, and, and anxious about what happens next? Maybe you've gotten a, a poor diagnosis. Maybe you know that, that something bad is on the horizon. Maybe it's not a personal or physical crisis. It's a, more of a spiritual crisis. Maybe there's spiritual trouble where you're having doubts about what you really believe about is this word really trustworthy and, and the God that I followed, it, it, it seems like um, my life hasn't turned out how I expected it to 
Or I see these people over here and, it, and, and I've just heard all these mixed messages and could, that, could those people be right or could these people be right or be these people be right? How am I supposed to discern and know who's actually right about who God is? Or maybe, maybe it's a societal trouble that's coming. Pick one, there's plenty. Uh, has anybody seen any societal trouble over the last year? After the year that we've been through with, with COVID, with, um, with politics, with social unrest, and all of those things that cause people to divide and argue and fight, that hurt and harm relationships, that, that are just weigh us down to try to figure out what is the right response in this issue? What is the right thing to do? How do I walk with Christ in the midst of this turmoil? We've all got some sort of trouble. But here we go into the word of God today. And as I said, we're just going to abide. We're just going to rest and see what God would say to us. See, God is trying to tell them something here. God is trying to tell them that in the midst of your trouble, and this is what God's saying to you too, in the midst of your trouble, use that trouble to turn to Jesus to awaken to Jesus, to run to him, abide in him, and rest in him. And don't allow the trouble to pull you away from Jesus. Think about what these guys were about to experience. Think about just the the hours that would follow. They would see the, the guy talking gets arrested like a couple hours later. And one of them takes a sword and cuts a dude's ear off. And a bunch of them scatter And then the guy speaking, Jesus, he's taken to trial. A few of them watch the trial and are sitting here like, what in the world is going on? This is not how I expected this to go. We really were believing in him. And then after the trial, they're in this crowd and they hear the crowd say, crucify him. And they're like, wait, he was just coming in. Everybody was saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord four days ago. And now the crowd's yelling, crucify him. And then they see him beaten and drugged through the street, carried a cross down the middle of the road and then hung up on a cross, crucified, tortured, and dead in just a few hours from when he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. It's almost like he knew what was going to happen or something. But Jesus is preparing them, is preparing them for trouble. And it's not just one day of trouble because then think about it. How would you, if you were them, how would you expect the empty tomb to go? Jesus is back. Okay, now, now here comes the kingdom. Nope, he's only around for 40 days after that. Jesus raises from the dead, and all of a sudden, the crisis is like over in a minute because he's really there. And then they just see him for a few weeks, and 40 days later, they see him floating up to heaven to rejoin his father. And they're like, now what? For the second time in 42 days, 43 days, they're just completely lost. And then the Spirit of God falls on Pentecost. Ten days after Jesus ascends, the Spirit of God falls down. And people people start talking in funny languages that they don't know. And and thousands of people decide, yes, you guys were right. We're going to follow Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And then what happens? Persecution. People die. People go to jail. It makes no sense. If you were going to write this story in your mind as a follower of Jesus, the cross was crazy. The empty tomb was like, okay, he overcame the cross. Now let's go build the kingdom. And then Jesus leaves. And then the spirit comes. You're like, okay, here it goes. Here comes the movement. 
And then people just scatter to different countries and start going to jail and start dying. And you're like, man, this kingdom of God stuff is kind of hard. There's like some trouble along the way. Again, Jesus knew what was coming. You know, this isn't the only time. This isn't the only time in that room, in this one conversation that Jesus referred to trouble. And the, the inevitability of the trouble that these guys were going to face. Verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. But then from there, he goes on. John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then a couple chapters later, John 16, 33. I've said things, these things to you so that you may have peace, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. By the way, that's another word for trouble. Some translations will use the word trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Three times in two chapters in one single sermon, sitting around the Passover Seder, Jesus refers to this idea of trouble and peace and hope in the midst of the inevitable trouble that these followers of him are going to, are going to face. And so here's the point. If you remember nothing else from today, here's the point. Jesus brings peace to the troubled. That's what he's all about. That's what this whole, this whole um, sermon that he's given in the upper room is about bringing peace in the midst of the troubled times, bringing peace to the troubled people. And so if you think that you're the one that has the responsibility of fixing your trouble, putting yourself back together again, fixing your family, fixing your workplace, fixing whatever stress is on you, fixing whatever is going wrong in society, if it's all up to you, then you're not in a really good place. You're not in a really good place to receive the redemption of Jesus. Because here's the thing, you know, you've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. I heard a pastor say this week, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who get sick of themselves. And y'all, that's the gospel. (laughs) That's kind of part one there. That God's redemption comes when people get to the point where they're saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't fix this on my own. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough, wise enough, whatever. I need you. I I need righteousness from outside of me. You know, what is the standard? Jason was talking about perfection today. God's standard is perfect. And how great is it that we do not have to live up to that standard? We can't live up to that standard. We've tried and we've failed and we've been condemned as guilty and sinners. But Jesus is perfect. The the message of the gospel says, give up on your own righteousness. Give up on your own achievement and instead receive what the reformers called an alien righteousness. Righteousness that comes from somewhere else, from outside of you. Receive righteous redemption by receiving the goodness of the obedience of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask the question, what are the troubles we might face? We've talked a little bit about that. We're also going to ask the question, what provisions has Jesus made for our trouble? And then we'll say, well, how can I get in on this? So what are the troubles we might face? Well, we've talked about personal troubles, relationships, family, work, finances, 
the, own, the repercussions from our own mistakes that we inevitably make. Anybody ever made a mistake in this room today? Okay, only about 20% of you. Thank you. Y'all got more righteous while I was gone. Just got to let that one sit for a second. Um, <clears throat> we all face these personal mistakes, personal troubles. We're all sinners. We all kind of um, dig our own graves sometimes. We, we all step in the, the mess that we created sometimes. And at the end of the day, you got to recognize that the gospel of redemption is for you. For you, the one that messed up. For you, the one that made the mistake. Again, context. What happens right before John 14, 1? Peter's told, dude, you're going to make a mistake so big you can't even dream it. And you're going to sit here, you're going to deny that you're going to deny. But you're going to deny. And you could say all you want at the meal, Peter, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, Jesus. I would never, I would never deny you. But then... It only took a few hours. It only took an arrest and a crazy circumstance, a little bit of lack of sleep along the way. And Peter's like, no, 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 I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know who that man is. I'm not one of his friends. And so, yeah, if you're facing a personal crisis of your own making, you're in good company. You should meet Peter. He's restored. He's forgiven. He's used tremendously for the kingdom of God. But you know what, if you're in the midst of a personal struggle of somebody else's making, boy, you're in good company too. Because we've all been there at differing degrees, but we all face troubles of various kinds. Physical troubles like disease, illness. You know, Jesus had this incredible healing ministry while he was walking the earth. It was amazing to just read through the Gospels and see all these times that Jesus heals people. And sometimes he comes into a village and he heals everybody. But not all the time. He doesn't heal every sick person that he walks by along the road. We know that by the time we get to the book of Acts, there's still sick people in Jerusalem that the apostles are healing. And then there's still sick people from there. And so, yeah, Jesus comes to heal. And we continue to pray for healing, but we also recognize that Jesus doesn't always heal. And then death does happen. What do we do with that? Jesus conquered death. What do we do? Well, we all face physical troubles. We all face physical deterioration. We had a death in my family this week. My grandfather passed away on Tuesday morning after I got to see him on Saturday. And you know, it's just a reminder I get asked all the time, what is the purpose of this death? What, what is God doing in just the way of disease and deterioration of old age? You know, it's, it's painful to watch someone that you love. My grandfather was 93. It's painful to watch someone you love deteriorate, lose mental capacity, lose physical capacity. And, and, it's, and it's hard to watch and you think, God, what are you doing? Don't you love this person? Don't you love this child of yours? And I really believe that the physical deterioration that we experience in this life is just a part of the groaning of all creation for the redemption of the sons of man in Romans 8. That as we age, as our physical functions deteriorate, it's to be a reminder to us that one day we're going to be welcomed into his presence, into the awe-inspiring glory and worth of who he is. 
And in those days of great illness and great pain and great deterioration, we remember, take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will, you will face physical trouble, physical disease, physical deterioration. Take heart, I've overcome it. What about spiritual troubles? You know, when my grandfather died, it was interesting to be reflecting. Again, I was there two days before he died. Be reflecting with my young cousin, and my, my dad was there also. And we were in the room. My cousin was just telling us about some of the conversations that he had been a part of, that he had overheard. And, you know, my, my grandfather was still asking questions. You know, he walked with God for well over 70 years, maybe 80 years. Every, everything I knew about my grandfather was a mature Christian man who loved Christ, studied the word very, in a very disciplined way. But, you know, even those last few weeks, he was still calling out to God with unanswered questions, not understanding why God had let certain things happen, not understanding why God did things a certain way, not understanding what God was doing in the midst of his pain and in the midst of the death of his wife, the death of his son before him. And you know, sometimes, I'm just going to level with you, sometimes those questions don't get answered in this life. And so if you're coming in here today and you say, yeah, I got trouble, I don't even know what I believe. I don't know who to believe. I don't know if I can believe the word of God. I don't know who, whose interpretation of the word of God I can believe. I'm going to tell you this. The answer, and it sounds like Triton Sunday School, but it's still true. The answer is Jesus. John 14, 6. Thomas says, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus gives the clearest, most concise, most reasonable answer. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You don't know the way, follow me. You don't know the truth, trust me. You don't know how to live, follow my way of life and receive new life in me. That's the simple answer, but it's so true. Sometimes answers are so easy that you, you think you need a better answer than that. No, that's, that's the right answer. But sometimes we have all sorts of questions beyond that that we just keep searching for. Don't give up on that search. Keep asking those questions. Ask those questions in community. Ask those questions through the word. Walk together. Don't leave your questions unanswered. It's the worst thing you can do. Keep going keep striving, and keep trying to seek out who Christ is. Because at the end of the day, you know, my grandfather doesn't have any more questions, right? Because he was welcomed into eternity on, on Tuesday morning. And so now, the, those questions of what God was doing back then, why God allowed certain crises to happen, he knows those answers. He's received his eternal reward in the presence of his father and of his king societal troubles. What do we do about that? You know, the disciples were certainly facing all sorts of stuff. Again, it, it didn't take long for the persecution to start after Jesus went away. I mean, obviously Jesus died because he was being persecuted. But the disciples themselves were persecuted. And so I'm not going to answer for you every societal or political question that we face in our time. Yes, 
Yes, it's hard to live as a Christian. It's hard to live by the word of God in today's culture and society. Yes, there are challenges today. And yes, there will be more challenges tomorrow. Yes, it takes great wisdom and discipline to rely on the word of God and the Christian community to walk through the societal ills of our day. But let me tell you what I know. The disciples faced far worse than we have. And the church grew. And all throughout human history, what we've seen is that the growth of God's church is not dependent upon a a friendly government. That that the growth of Christ's church is not dependent upon a healthy culture and society. The 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 church of Christ, it grows as Jesus does his work. As the Spirit of God is poured out, Jesus just builds his church. And it's surprising We don't know what church is going to grow at what time, and sometimes God's doing incredible work in Africa, and sometimes God's doing incredible work in Asia, and sometimes God's doing incredible work in South America, sometimes God's doing incredible work here. And you know what? We just try to keep up with what he's doing. We walk faithfully in what we're called to do, and we watch, and we watch what God does. So yeah, let's, let's give our societal trouble to God. Let's, let's come on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our region, on behalf of all of these problems that we face. Let's seek as the, as the church of Jesus to come together along those issues. And let's watch God work because he's gonna keep building his church. What provisions has Jesus made for our trouble? You know, I've, I've talked for a long time and this is kind of the meat of the message. Sorry. What provisions does Jesus make for our trouble? I'm going to give you three things to leave with today. He's promised us an eternal home. He's promised us an uncommon peace. And he's promised us, or he's established for us, a true victory. An eternal home comes, John 14, 2 through 4. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And then what does he say next? Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house, there are many rooms. The promise of peace in trouble is dependent upon Jesus saying, you've got a better place to go. This world is not all there is. This world is not the end. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, because I got a better place for you. And I'm working on it. I'm preparing a home for you right now. And so you will be welcomed into the Father's house. That's a promise we need, everybody. We live in in hope. How do you get up out of your bed in the morning and live with hope? Because, you know, whatever you do that day, if you are in Christ, God goes with you through the presence of the Spirit. And whatever you do, whatever happens to you that day, nothing that happens to you will affect your eternity if you are already in Christ. Your eternal home has already been established. He's already accomplished it for you. Your standing is complete. So go in grace. Go in, not trying to earn your place. Don't try to earn his favor. Jesus did that. Jesus the one is the one and the only one that earns God's favor. And then he gives it away. So you either, get, you either receive the gift or you don't. You don't earn that. Jesus earned it, gives it to you, and then... Your eternal home is secure. John 14, 26 and 27, he gives us an uncommon peace. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all 
things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you want the world's peace? I wouldn't recommend it. Eureka, as we were in a um, volunteer meeting for VBS this week, which is why there's animals all around me. As we were in a volunteer meeting this week, we were, she was talking to us about this theme, treasured, discovering that you're priceless to God. And she was saying, you know, never in the history of human society has society placed a greater emphasis on affirmation, on you're, you're doing great. It's a message we send to kids all the time. You're doing great. You're perfect the way you are. Just be who you are. Be, be true to yourself. Listen to your heart. Those messages. Society just bombards kids with them, bombards us with them. And yet somehow, somehow kids in today's society seem to be more anxious and stressed and depressed. And we hear about mental health issues with kids at a greater degree today. So what gives? We, we keep telling young people how great they are, how awesome they are. And, and they're still not they're still not receiving that. They're still not just recognizing how great and awesome. They're still struggling with anxiety and struggling with these questions. Maybe, just maybe, we're sending them the wrong affirmations. Because he, I'm not against telling your kid he's great. Go for it. But here's the truth. We have to be clear about what is to be affirmed and what isn't to be affirmed. And the message of saying you're priceless to God, that's in Jesus that's, that's in Christ. We don't want the world's peace. We don't want the world's peace that says, everybody, just be who you are and get along. No, we want, we want peace in Christ because we've rebelled against the holy king, against the creator of the ends of the earth. There is an active rebellion going on against him, and Christ the Son has broken into it and has said, if you follow me, you get to change sides. You get to be adopted into the royal family. But in the midst of this conflict, we cannot just say that there is no conflict. We cannot just say that everybody's good is good. We cannot just say that everybody's good. We have to be able to say, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus my Lord. We have to recognize that we need a better peace than the world's peace. We, we, we need an uncommon peace. We need that better message of the gospel. And finally, he brings us an established victory. John 16, why can you have peace in the midst of your trouble? Because I've overcome the world. I'm done. I've overcome the world. On the cross, to tell us tie, it is finished. Jesus' words. I mean, Satan has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The grave has been defeated. And so there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's settled. The victory is achieved for us. But we don't recognize it every day. We don't always see this, this beauty of living in God's peace every day. And it sure does seem like the world is really messed up still. Yeah, that's all true. But the victory's already been established. And he's coming back. Because he's not done. He's not done with you. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for all those who are a part of his family. 
so how can I get in on this? This is a question you should ask about like every sermon. As you're reading through the Bible, how, how, how am I supposed to be a part of this? How, I want in. This sounds great. I like peace. I want an uncommon peace. I want an eternal home. I want to be a part of this established victory. So how am I a part of this? How do I get in on this? And you know, it's crazy. I love this part of the passage that I read earlier where Thomas has no idea what's going on. Y'all, Thomas gets a bad rap, okay? I'm sure that for most of the time that Thomas followed Jesus, he knew what was going on some of the time. But he gets this bad rap being doubting Thomas because just a few days after this, Thomas is the one that says, no, I'm not gonna believe until I see Jesus for myself and touch him for myself. But right here, Thomas is saying, "Um, Jesus, that sounds great, but actually it doesn't sound great because I have no idea what you're talking about. You say we're going where you're going, but we don't know where you're going, so how do we know how to follow you on that way. And Jesus just very clearly gives this answer that is the answer to everything. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. How do you get in on this? Jesus. How do you receive life from the dead? Jesus. How do you know the, the right way to live Jesus, how do you know the truth, Jesus? What is the way, Jesus? Who do I follow, Jesus? He just makes it so simple, not just to those in the room, not just to Thomas in the back of the room. Um, Jesus, I have no idea what you're talking about. He makes it clear to us. It's all about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. So it's real, real simple. Um, The team's gonna come back up. Y'all can go ahead and come on. The team's going to come back up. We're, we're going to sing some more. We're going to sing about Jesus. Shocker. But for all of us, every single one, I don't care how long you've been at this church. Every single one of us. The application for today is run to Jesus. You can run for the first time and say, Jesus, I've never fully admitted to myself or to the world around me how much I need you. But Lord, today I need you. Come see me up at the front. Let's run to Jesus together today. But for everybody else, regardless of whatever your trouble is, whatever your personal, physical, spiritual, societal trouble that's weighing you down, run to Jesus today. Come to the altar. The altar's wide open. There's trees and stuff. Who cares? Come to the altar. Pray. Give it to Jesus. Jesus, I've got a burden I'm carrying today. You told me I'd have trouble. You were right. I got it. Jesus, give me hope in the midst of my trouble. Give me peace in the midst of my trouble. So whether you're coming for the first time or coming for the hundredth time, I invite you, run to Jesus today. And you know, as we're here in the jungle, let's remember, we're about to say this to 78 kids time after time after time this week. And so it'd be a great time to run to Jesus on behalf of somebody else. On behalf of those kids that you don't know that are going to come into this building this week and hear the gospel. On behalf of that loved one that's not walking with Christ right now. On behalf of that person that you've tried to share with time and time and time again. Run to Jesus on their behalf so that they can get in on this too. So whatever you feel led to do, come to the altar, bow to pray, stand and sing with us. I invite you to just worship and run to Jesus. Lord, I come, I confess, 
I'm going to ask you to just stand right there for a minute. I'm going to ask Josh and Rachel and Derek.
Eric to come up. Y'all actually, I meant to say y'all can be seated for just a second. It's been a while, guys. I don't know what I'm doing. What a great time to be assembled together, worshiping in the spirit. And now we have an introduction of a new family to make to you today. Um, This is Josh and Rachel and Derek Owens, um, and they've been um, with us for a while now. And um, uh, but they've gone through the new members class and uh, have shared their testimonies with the leadership. And we are just excited to be welcoming them in, welcoming them in as members. Um, if you don't know what membership is, you, you know, we'll do another new members lunch or informational lunch soon, and you can hear more about the membership process. But they've gone through the process, they've shared with the elders, and they want to commit to being a part of this family. Derek's already been dedicated um, in this church in your presence, so I just wanted to uh, introduce them to you and invite you. They're, I'm going to close in prayer. They're going to stand up here. Um, come up and greet them after the service. They're awesome. You'll like them. Josh is intimidating because he's bigger than me but he's really great. Um, And Derek will be bigger than me in like a month. So, um, but uh, also, uh, again, I'll say, uh, introduce yourselves to AJ and Carson. They're up here and they'll hang out towards the front um, at the end of the service. But I'd love for you to meet both of these young families and just welcome them into our family here. Um, So let me pray for us. Father, thank you. You are good. Thank you for what you have done today in us, around us, and through us. Um, Father, may your gospel go forth as we leave this place. May we be ambassadors. And then for those of us that come back tonight, um, Father, just blow us all away. Blow us all away with what you're going to do, measurably more than all that we ask or imagine through this week of EBS. And we praise you and thank you, Father. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to leave us with the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.